Hey everybody, thank you again for tuning in to another episode here of the Fearless Fathers Podcast. It's Davo here, running solo, semi-solo. We got another interview lined up for you here today. My guest is Nick of Dadding Greatly on Instagram. Nick is a father of two kids, loves his beer league softball, going on family vacations, living the dream as the best dad that he possibly could. Start dadding greatly was started after Nick experienced a really, really bad panic attack on the happiest place on earth. And he realized that his anxiety was following him from his entire life up until today. And he took that moment to take the steps necessary to become a truly fearless father. We're going to dive down today into how these symptoms all came, where they came from, how he recognized and managed his anxiety to allow him to go to the next level of parenthood, plus a lot more. So you don't want to miss this episode today as I talk to Nick from Dadding Greatly. So without further ado, let's just dive right into it. Nick, how you been, brother? How's everything going? Good, man. Good. Uh, You know, despite COVID pandemic and uh, kids returning to school, which should be a good thing, but adds another layer of uh, nerve, nerve wrackingness. Is that a word? You know what? It is now. Screw it. Yeah, Trademark it. Throw it on a mug. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Kids equals nerve wrackingness. Kids do equal nerve wrackingness. Man, I know a lot like that. Like my son has like 14 nieces or cousins. I have 14 nieces and nephews and like they're all going back to school and I'm just seeing all the nerve wracking and he's only three. So I'm like, all right, we're kind of good right now. But I'm like, it is it is mass chaos and pandemonium in its own sense. man. Yeah. I give a huge shout out to you parents rocking it out there, doing it that way. So good for you guys. Yeah, thanks. It's hard. I mean, it's it's hard because you had them at home and they just, they. my son was not thriving in that atmosphere, that mm. work from home, school from home atmosphere. He needed to go back. And now that he's back, it's like this big sigh of relief. And now there's a new, just, it, it, it just changes. It, it's everything. Yeah, Always no something. doubt. No doubt, man. God bless you guys. You're rocking it. I know you are. And we're going to have a great conversation when it comes to this today. First question right off the bat. Nick, what's your favorite dad joke? Oh, man. Um, so we we say one here. I have a uh, an eight-year-old as of today. It's his birthday. Um, Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and a four-year-old daughter. So eight-year-old son, four-year-old daughter. Uh, this is my four-year-old daughter's favorite joke of all time she thinks it's hilarious so it's a knock knock joke you ready rocket i'm ready all right here we go knock knock who's there i see mop i see mop who you see your poo (laughs) that took me a second to register (laughs) right so you can also interchange it you can say i smell mop you can say i taste mop there's a lot of different varieties there Variety is the spice of life. That is the (laughs) knock-knock joke, variety, spice of life. I absolutely love it. Amazing. Four-year-old digs it. Eight-year-old loves telling it to his friends. It's a good one. It's perfect. Chef kiss. Loving it. So enough with the joking. Enough with everything going on. We're, We're talking today about anxiety as a dad and how we overcome that anxiety and how we're really dadding greatly as a dad. But before we even get all the way to where we're at now, what you're doing, all those great things that you're crushing for dads. Let's kick it back a little bit because I'm a big believer in introspective 
and understanding who we are and where we came from to become better dads. Mm -hmm. What is a limiting belief or something that you had growing up as a child that kind of kind of held you back into your into your adult years? Um, I think the biggest thing really is like speaking up for myself. Um, and I, I honestly don't know where that came from. Um, it just, I have three older brothers. Um, my dad wasn't really around, um, when he was my, my memories of him were just always like really grumpy and angry and yelling and pissed off about something not going right. Um, so the signal to me as a, as a kid is just like, you only speak when you want to let people know what you're unhappy about. And, you know, just never really, never really spoke up for myself about things that like made me happy or things that were going wrong that I wanted to fix. Um, you know, things like that. So now I kind of try to make it a point, especially with my son to really speak up for himself. Like, yeah, you're having some big feelings right now. Like, let's talk about it. That's I don't absolutely. think I'm alone there. I think a lot of guys kind of have that as a, as an adult still is like, we just don't speak like we, we, it's pretty clear when we're mad, but other than that, we don't really speak about many other emotions. You're not wrong in that aspect either, man. And I, I shoot you a toast on that one. Cause even for me growing up, like that was always the biggest thing kind of in the same, not so much the same boat, but it's like growing up, you're only allowed to tell somebody when you were upset or, Oh, hey, this is bothering me. And it's like, oh, well, I did something great. Oh, that's cool. Well, leave me alone. I'm I'm doing something else right now. And kind of got deflated. And, you know, I, I'm really sympathetic and empathetic to that because part of my life growing up was that. And it's like when you try to speak up, you feel like you're attacking somebody else. At least that's how I felt all the time when I'm like, hey, this is going on. You're an idiot or stop it. And I'm sure you could kind of reciprocate a lot of that feeling like you just kind of want to stay in the bubble, let everything kind of happen as it goes and see what happens. And then as the chips may lie, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole like man up feeling like you don't like something, the way it's going down or the way something is affecting you. Well, just, just man up and, and fix it or man up and deal with it. Not even fix it. Just deal with it. Man up and shut up, man up and deal with it. I have heard those more times than I'm proud to admit. And, that never sat right with me. It, it never sat right with me. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you could say this too, but it's like in the last couple of years, I'm actually at the point right now where I'm starting to speak my mind and I'm starting to just feel a little bit more confident in what it is that I'm saying, what it is I'm doing. And if people don't like it, you know what, then you can man up and shut up. Like right, exactly using that in a way, I, I'm not trying to say that in like a derogatory way, but it's like, I need to do what's right by me and yeah, I need exactly. to say what's right by me. And it kind of sounds like you're you're almost in that boat and just recognizing it, seeing it from your past and saying like, hey, this is something that I know I need to work on. It's 100%. something I'm going to get stronger with. And like you said, we are not alone because I feel every man is that way. Yeah, <laughs> My wife looks at me all the time. Not afraid to share. I'm, I'm 36. I'm still working on that. Uh, my wife kind of gives me a hard time still. Like I'll, I'll say something about like, you know, work and she'll say, well, well, what did you say? <laughs> Nothing. She's like, why? Like, you got you got to stand up for yourself. And I was like, oh well, I don't, I don't like confrontations. Like, I'll just quietly fix it on the back end, and like, no one will know the difference. She's like, ah, no, no, you gotta put your foot down and tell them why you did it that way and that they're wrong. And I'm like, Ugh, it's so scary. It's almost easier for me to to parent my own kid 
and tell him like, this is what you should do. You should stand up for yourself. And here's how. And if he ever checked me on it, like, do you do that, dad? I'm like, nope. No. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're not wrong in that at all, man. Like I, for me, at least feeling that it was always a sense of like, oh, they're superior. So whatever they say is right. And no matter what you say, you're going to be wrong or they're going to find a way to find out why you're wrong. So it's, I, I was in the same boat. I mean, I'm still in the same boat and it's something I continue to work on and I'm 32 and nothing I'm ever going to stop working on, yeah. but it's for me, at least finding that out, it's like, hey, you're allowed to speak up. You're, you're allowed to tell somebody that they're wrong. If they don't like it, that's on you, man. You know, And I, I applaud you for even coming out and saying that because I don't know many dads who would even say, oh, I don't like to speak up or I don't do all this. And I just get really mad. And my wife knows when I'm angry, but I just let everything go. It's like, man, just let, let, it, let it live. Let it, let it de-simmer a little bit and just kind of do what you're doing. So I applaud you, man. I really do. Thank you. Hundred percent. So we talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the episode that you're the host of Dadding Greatly. You're getting Instagram out there. You're kind of you're kind of broadening all this out. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a detail as to what Dadding Greatly is, kind of where it came from, things like that? Sure. So I um, this is a really like a lifetime long story, but became a dad in 2013 the anxiety that was already there kind of really uh, rapidly increased and I still was kind of fighting it. Didn't really understand it. Didn't want to admit that I had it. Um, And then I just at this certain event happened and it went full blown, like hot water boiling out of the pot type situation. And I started taking steps to kind of get a hold of it and, you know, overcome and battle it. Um, started speaking about it where I could just kind of freely admitting like, yeah, I have anxiety and I went to therapy and I'm on meds now and life is great again. And a buddy of mine, um, just, I don't know, you know, a reward or like, Hey, you're doing great. Gave me this book by Brene Brown called daring greatly. And he was like, this just, I read this book. This book made me think of you, um, and your journey with anxiety. Um, And I read through it and it's just kind of all about being vulnerable and uh, using that vulnerability to just make yourself better, make your life better, um, make your parenting better. Um, Just a really solid book. I I really, you know, I read it. I was feeling it, really liked it. Um, About that time, I was thinking about switching my, my private Instagram over to a public account and just really kind of escalating the discussion about uh, men's health, anxiety, especially for dads, um, that type of thing. And just daring greatly was the book. Uh, it sounded so much like dadding greatly. Uh, it just, it just fit. It was perfect timing, perfect name, and it just fit. So that's kind of what the Instagram's all about now is just kind of, uh, you know, really showing dads, like you can have anxiety and still do all of these really fun things, be there for your kids. Uh, you know, I'm on the ground playing board games with them still. We're going on crazy vacations. We just got back from uh, the Disney Hotel in, in Oahu. Uh, I did see that. That was awesome. Which is, that, that was awesome. Could be a uh, an anxiety person's nightmare. But it worked out. It worked well. So just kind of showing like strategies and things like, you know, you can still do have anxiety and do these things. 
and still be a great dad. So that's kind of what it comes down to. And I think that's a massive takeaway for anybody listening to that today. I mean, it's like we, we all deal with anxiety in one way, shape or form. I mean, you're, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to you a little bit here, but it's like, well, I should go back to you because I'm interviewing you and it's about you, (laughs) but we always talk about the anxiety. And like, I remember before my son was born, I always had this anxiety and I never really knew I had anxiety until everything kind of hit. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like Mm -hmm. now it's like, everything's kind of crumbling a little bit, but I'm starting to see the pieces. And you brought up like your lowest point, your, as I like to call it, your rock bottom helped springboard you into something even greater Mm -hmm. that could contribute to more dads. And it always seemed like everything was lining up for you at that point. Like, Oh my God, it's almost too coincidental to be a coincidence. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Like I, our firstborn, I begged to have a daughter, um, because I had such a bad relationship with my dad that I was like, I don't even want to redo the whole, like everybody's telling me, Oh, if you have a son, you get to redo the, the dad son dynamic. You get to start over from the other side. And I was like, I don't want to, like, I just want to like, bury that whole idea and just have a daughter like let's do that instead and then we found out we were having a son and there's like a famous picture of me biting into the cupcake and seeing the blue frosting and somebody was like waiting for my reaction and took the picture and i just looked almost pissed (laughs) like kind of disappointed i was like well we're gonna go ahead and burn that picture and never show it to my son (laughs) oh man but i mean he's he's turned into such a blessing like it just that kind of coincidental like this all has happened to me for a reason. I'm sure of it. I mean, I'm a massive believer in everything in this world happens for a reason. And you know, the the life that we had growing up is always the life that's going to set us up for our next level of success, whether that's parenting success, financial success, whatever insert on here. Right. And like what we're doing with dadding greatly in the podcast, you know, we're getting that out there and we're saying, Hey, your vulnerability is a strength for you. Like, it's okay that you have anxiety because guess what? Here's a million other dads that are just like you today who are going out there fighting the same battles, staying quiet about it because they feel they, – they don't feel masculine. They, they feel that, that they just want to curl up into a ball and they just kind of want to let it go and, oh, guys are going to make fun of me. It's like, man, listen, if you talk to any other dads out there, any other men, I promise you nine out of ten of them are going to be like, dude, I had a situation similar to that. You're okay. Trust me. Mm-hmm. you know and yeah do and it's do from it. the from the daring greatly book it's kind of interesting like one of the things that stuck with me was you know all these people say like if you're being vulnerable and then they pull me afterwards i say wow he was so brave that was so awesome like kudos to him and then it's like okay well you do it and it's like well no I, I can't do it because then i'll be you know a sissy and weak and it's like well wait a minute you just said the same thing for somebody else was strength and courageous and and awesome but the exact same thing coming from you would be weakness and, and you know, bad, it, negative. It, it that, that always, I don't want to say it makes me laugh, but it kind of always makes me think it's like we talk, I always talk about uncomfortable action and taking that uncomfortable action. And when somebody sees somebody taking uncomfortable action like you did and coming out of your rock bottom and getting stronger, they're like, he's so brave. He's so courageous. All you did was you just took a step outside of, you're unknown. You got outside of your comfort zone and you said, no, screw this. I'm done with this past self of me. I want to see, I've already given up before. I know what that looks like. I want to see what happens when I don't give up and you've fallen on your face and, and you've created this path that other dads can now maybe 
slightly fall on their face, but now open up even more to their spouse, their kids, whatever the case is. And it just becomes so much better. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you got to shut that man up. Crap. And now it's like looking back, I wish I would have done what I did 10, 15 years ago. So, dude, I, I agree. It's like, oh, if I only did this five years ago, it's like, just do it today. (laughs) Yeah. Like I tell myself that now, but 10 years ago, if you told, if you told 20 something Dave about that, be like, I'm, I'm too weak for that. You know, I'm, I'm not strong enough for that. And guys, men follow their, follow the path when they're ready to rock it. Some go to the gym to work out, to get rid of that self. Others work on their mental mindset. Like I I'm, I'm benching 600 pounds in mental mindset, but I can't go lift. I can't go lift the bar at the gym. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just another set of tools, another set of skills that are going to make you even stronger in a different aspect and really at least enhance what you're already great at. Yeah, exactly. Very well said. So when we're, when we're talking about that and you brought up the, um, you brought up the moment, I kind of think I know where this is going to go. But what was that epiphany moment when you realized that your anxiety was fully there? And when did you when did you overcome that? Or how did you overcome that? Yeah, so I had my biggest uh, mental breakdown in the middle of the happiest place on earth, like in the middle of Disneyland, which sounds like how can you have a mental breakdown in Disneyland? Um, So like I said, my son was born in 2013. And I developed all these like physical I developed this physical issue for three months, went to the doctors. They never found anything. I had like a month of good health. And then I developed this weird breathing thing where I felt like I could never take a deep breath. Right. I did like every breathing test in the book. Um, Saw neurologists had MRIs and CAT scans, just so much time and effort and money and just never found anything. And at some point along the line, my primary care doctor said, do you think it's anxiety? I was like, no, definitely not. Like I'm living a dream right now. Like I'm, I'm switching careers and I'm going into communications and marketing, which I've always wanted to do. So that's awesome. And I just had a a baby boy and he's awesome. Um, nothing, nothing is touching me right now. And they're like, so you're switching careers and you had your first kid ever and you don't think it's anxiety. I was like, nope. I'm, I'm, I'm golden. So kind of like, uh, set it all aside, lived with it for shoot another, like, I don't know, five, six years. Right. And, um, we went to Disneyland without our kids and we went on like pirates of the Caribbean slowest ride there. And not even 20 seconds on, I just feel it hit me. And it's like this physical sensation where I thought I was going to like barf and then pass out like and have a seizure or something like I could feel it from the inside and just sheer panic. I was like, I need to get the F off this ride like ASAP. And I don't know how we just started. It's like a 20 minute ride and just it spiraled out of control. And we were in the back of the boat. And my wife was like, just like lay down on my lap, I guess. So I'm like laying down in like the fetal position in the back of Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland with all these kids on the same boat, just like shaking, like just, just like easily the most severe panic attack I've ever had. I don't even know if I've had one before that, but it was bad. We came out of there. 
Uh, she was like, take all the time you need. I, you know, we sat there for like 30 minutes. I came up with every excuse in the book. Like I'm dehydrated. I pounded a water. I ate too much sugar. I, I sugar shocked myself. Um, not a thing. Like just after 30 minutes, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I want to go back to the hotel. So we go to the hotel. I ended up taking a shower. That didn't help. I took like a two hour nap. That didn't help. Um, we went back to uh, the Disneyland area, had dinner and then returned back to the hotel room. She fell asleep eventually and then woke up at like three in the morning to me, like sitting up rocking. And she was like, what the hell is happening? And I was like, I'm like back to spiraling. I'm looking out at this balcony thinking like, I don't plan to jump or anything. But I told her like, I can see why people would jump. And she was like, huge red flag. Like we're ending this trip. We changed our flights. Um, you know, we went back uh, to our hometown early and the next morning I just, I called my doctor and I was like, Hey, um, like, where's the mental health department? Can I just show up? And they're like, absolutely. And I walked in and it was like, just the look on my face apparently said the whole story because the, the lady at the desk was like, you're in the right place. We'll take care of you, honey. And I was like, wow, A, do I look like that big of a bag of trash right now? Like, like, do I look that sad? Like, sorry, I'm not, I shouldn't say trash, but like, do I look beat up or something? Like, but also like, it's kind of comforting. So it's like, okay. So literally like had to cancel a Disney trip, shorten it, walk into mental health and like check myself in basically. Um, And just kind of sat down with somebody for the first time and, and did like an orientation. It was like, are you in the right place? Do you have anxiety? Like what's bugging you? And it's like, yeah, we think you could benefit from some, some counseling. So that's how the whole thing like really went over the top. How freeing was it when you actually had that first conversation with somebody who had no idea about your life? So we talked probably about an hour and a half the first time. And I would say the first like 45 minutes, I was still super tight and guarded. Um, Cause you're kind of thinking like, do I really belong here? Like, should I be here? Like maybe it's actually not that bad. Maybe I just had like a, a freak panic moment. Like I'll get over it. Should I man up? Can I man up? Like, will this be fine? Um, and then kind of halfway through it just like sunk in. It was like, you know what? Like, I do have an issue and I am in the right place and like I can let my guard down. Like, let's just see what happens if I let my guard down. And like, it's at that point you're, you nailed it. It's so freeing. It's like, God, I wish that's where the very first moment I was like, I wish I would have done this five years ago, 10 years ago. Like what stopped me from this? This is not scary at all. It's the absolute craziest thing in the world. When you, when you go through that first door, that first step and you're just like, you know what? This isn't going to work. I'm not crazy. I'm okay. That that was a freak accident. It, it's never happened before. We're just going to forget about it. And then you're like an hour in, you got like six boxes of tissues and you're just screaming yeah. at yourself. You're like, what the hell am I doing? But it's like that most freeing, easy sensation that anybody could ever, ever ask about. And it's like, I, I wanted to ask you that because I've gone through it. Ryan, my partner's gone through it. I know many dads that have taken that step into therapy and are like, I just need to talk to a non-biased person who knows nothing about me and just let me spill it all out onto you and see what happens. Yeah. 
And, and that's one of the, the biggest things I tell other people too, is like, they always think, cause I went in like that first 45 minute discussion. It was like, again, do I need to be here? And another big part of it was like, they're going to judge the crap out of me. Like they're going to think I'm this big sissy Lala. And like, and then you come to this realization where like they chose this profession and then they did as much education as they could. They did all of their schooling in this field to help me like, this is their job. So if they're going to judge me, like it's very unlikely, but if they are, then they're a crappy therapist. But I mean, it's just so unlikely. Like they got into this profession to do this job, to help people like me. So they're not going to judge. They're going to help. And once you kind of just shift that easy, simple mindset change, it it's, it's freeing. That's a great way of looking at that. Actually. I never even put that together. Like, Hey, they went to school for this. So like, this is their job. Like for me, when I was going through that, it's like, oh, are they going to dose me up on medication? Are they going to lock me up in a padded room? Like, because you hear all of these constants of therapy. And I never knew that there was a difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I, I never knew that there was these different branches and these different niches. And when you actually just sit down with a regular therapist and they're just there, they're educated and they have all these tools and all mm -hmm. of these ears to just say, yeah, it's okay. Let your guard down. I'm just here to be your punching bag. Hear what you have to say. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dope you up. That's not my profession. Mm -hmm. You know, if we need to go that extra level to get medication, to get your mind right, we're going to take that route. But it's like, I looked at that as like, oh my God, I have somebody here who's not going to put me on drugs. Who's not going to tell me I'm crazy. It's like for once I actually felt validated to actually go through something because I was I I never felt validated in a lot of things and kind of like what you said in the beginning there. Yeah, and I, I went in super anti meds when I first started. Um, I was Same. like, I'm gonna do the counseling and I'm not doing meds. Um, and I said that at the very first session. Um, it's like I'm I don't care what happens here. Like I'm not going on meds. And by the end, I was asking her like, <laughs> Hey, do you think meds should be a part of the conversation? And she was like, Hey, I, I, I can't prescribe that to you. I can only make a note in your file and kind of confer with your primary care. And I'll be honest, I'll tell you my note in there is that I think you could benefit from it, but ultimately it's between you and him. And, and then even then it's ultimately your choice. So I, I benefited from a pretty good team. My, then my primary care was like, I see you finish your sessions. I see you brought up medicine. I agree with her. I think you could benefit from it here's what I would do. I'd put you on like a low dose. I'd put you on this kind. Here's the, the pros and cons of it. If it doesn't here work, here's what we do. Um, laid it all out in front of me beforehand. And then it was like, now it's really your choice. Like she's saying she thinks you could benefit, but she's not saying you have to, I'm saying you could benefit, but I'm not saying you have to. So it's on you now. And I was like, all right, screw it. Let's do it. <laughs> Screw it. Send it. Let's, let's yeah. just get it that way. But it's, I, I love that story. And, you know, we hear the happiest place on earth and it's like, that was your saddest moment, but that brought you to your happiest place on earth now. So it, it's almost like ironic in a way that it happened in Disneyland, but it brought you to something so much better. But what did that really, what did that really look like? Like your messy middle, I guess we'll call it between recognizing it getting to the prescriptions, like how did that impact you 
as a dad, as a husband, as a man, when you were going through that journey? Yeah, the messy middle. I like that. I'm going to call that the messy middle from now on. (laughs) It was hard. It was hard because it just, you know, as I get older and think that I'm like this, like wiser adult who can take care of myself better now, it's like it gets harder to admit that you actually need help and and you need counseling and you need medicine. Um, you know, you even need your wife's support on this particular thing. So it was hard. It was, it was definitely a challenge. Like I had the kids, we had our first kid and I thought I was this great dad, but I would definitely lose my temper pretty quick and lose my patience pretty quick. And, and it's like, looking back, I definitely didn't help as much as I probably should have because I had that lack of patience and it was like kids crying. Here you go. Like I'm out. And I would like leave the room. It's like, how helpful is that to also a new mom? So it was, it was messy. That's just like the best way you could possibly put it. Um, And that's again, why I think, I think I, I should have done it a lot earlier because, you know, it really grounds you. It really, helps you enjoy and like kind of take a step back and like calm and you need that with kids. Sometimes they're crying at 2 AM for (laughs) no reason. Like you have fed them. You've changed them. They're not, they're not wet. They're not cold. They're not too hot. There's literally nothing wrong with them. And they're still screaming at 2 AM. That's like to have untreated anxiety and go through that is it's a nightmare. So it, it was definitely challenging. Um, It is a little bit of a blur, which I also hate, which is another reason I wish I would have gone through um, getting help a lot sooner is because you don't want to have any of your, your, uh, your fatherhood, your parenthood um, to be a blur. You want to remember all of those good times and how you really made it through the bad times and, and celebrate everything. So for anything to be like a blur where it was like, I just remember being grumpy and tired all the time. Like that sucks. It absolutely sucks. And I remember a lot of that as well, too. But even on the even on the counteract of that, it's like, man, I was grumpy through all this. But now I remember like, hey, I was a grumpy son of a bitch. But now I could try and be a happier, non grumpy son of a bitch half the time. Yeah. So it's almost like this. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's almost like a complete 180 when you're looking at it. But you're right. Like, you don't want to you don't want to forget those moments. You don't want to forget the beginning and, you know, of being a new dad that's how we started was like helping new dads. And it's like, what, what kind of help to a new mom is to say, here you go. And it's being untreated and going through that messy middle and having the support, like you said, with your wife is the, I think the number one key, because if you don't have that support on the back end, then there's not a lot that you could do on the front end because you just feel like, well, what's the point? If I don't have anybody in my corner, why am I even here doing this? Right. And it's so it's it could, it's such a dangerous game too because if I'm not physically supporting her with a brand new baby and then she's going through postpartum and needs mental health support, but she's feeling like I have my issues that I'm dealing with, so leave them alone, and then hers just fester. Then like, how does that affect the kid? Now you have right. two parents who are going through some mental health issues at the same time. You never know how bad that can turn out. So. It's just, it's hard when you're in the thick of the messy middle to like, you know, it's kind of like when you see your own kid every single day, you don't realize how much they've grown until you see like the picture of the side by side or somebody comments it to you because they don't see them every day. Same thing. Like I live with myself every day, so I wasn't really seeing it. And then when I got on medicine and like, you know, it really sunk in 
I distinctly remember like, you know, we're in bed falling asleep one night and I like roll over and I'm like, do you think the meds are helping? And my wife was like, just dead serious. Like, oh my God, so much. Like, and she literally said, quote, I feel like I got my husband back. And I was like, damn, first of all, to feel like even in the position where your husband left, like that made me feel like crap. So I was just like a half and half, half. I am so sorry that it even got that bad. But then the other half was just so like validating. Like, yes. Okay. I'm taking the right steps. I'm doing the right thing. Like she just confirmed it by saying my, I got my husband back. Like you can't get a better, like more positive validation than that. Not, but man, I wish I would have never gotten that far in the first place. But again, it, it sets you up too. Like you always wish like, man, I wish I I saw the signs. They were there. Like, why didn't I take them? And it's like, well, that's because the uni- I'm a believer in the universe. Like they were setting you up for your next level of success. It's like hindsight's always 2020. 20, but if you don't go through that messy middle, if you don't trudge through that swamp of just straight disgust and the fog and and all of that nonsense, you're you're never going to get where you want to be. At least that's how I feel about a lot of this. Yeah, same. With that, like you're talking through that messy middle, like what were the keys towards you recognizing the anxiety, the struggles accepting the anxiety, and how did that actually, once you figured all those out, like how did that truly improve your relationship? Um, so for me personally, I feel like it took that that massive breakdown to finally get through to me. Um I mean, like I said, I had all the the indicators early and I just like shunned them. I was like, no, it's not like I had my primary care say, you think it's anxiety? And I was like, no, I don't like, I'm super happy right now. Like I'm living the dream. And then I went to like a pulmonologist about the, the breathing thing. And he was like, he wouldn't even see me. He was like, listen, I can shove this tube down your throat and look and find nothing all while you're awake. And it's going to be super uncomfortable and hurt. Or I looked in your file you have anxiety. And I was like, F you, man. Like, <laughs> don't talk to me like that. And he was like, so do you want the tube? And I was like, no. And he's like, so then do you admit you have anxiety? And I was like, no, but I'm not getting the tube. So see ya. And it's just like, this is a waste of time. And mm-hmm. I come home and it's like, my wife's like, what do you say? And I was like, he tried to tell me I have anxiety and he wouldn't even see me. What a dick. And she's like, well, like, <laughs> a professional pulmonologist just told you that what are your feelings about that? And I was like, that he's wrong. She's like, uh, okay. So just, you know, so many instances where it's like the primary care and then the pulmonologist. And then it's like, you know, my sister chimes in and it's like, Oh, you know, our dad has anxiety. And because of that, like I have it too. And our brother has it. And you know, a cousin has it like totally runs in the family. There's another sign. I was like, Nope, not me. And it's like it kind of over time, like another thing happens and another thing happens and another thing happens. And you start to think like, okay, maybe like it used to be. No, absolutely not. Now it's maybe, but I can beat this myself. So you start to Google like how to beat anxiety and it's like spend time in nature and journal. And it's like easy. Nope. So then I like journal for five minutes sitting outside and I'm like solved like anxiety master i got this too easy next yeah. one yeah too much sugar all right i'll give up soda that'll be easy and then it just didn't go away it just kept getting worse and it kept getting worse and i was like um at one point i read a book by uh rick Ankeel, old baseball player mm-hmm. 
Um, so he was a pitching prospect and then got like a really bad case of the yips, had to go back to the minors, came back as an outfielder, did really well. So I'm reading his autobiography and it's all about like how he got the yips and how he kind of traced it back to like, maybe I had this bad relationship with my dad and that, and I have anxiety and I'm like laughing, like, Oh my gosh, listen to this. My dad did the same thing. And my wife's like, that's not funny. Like, that's so sad. I don't know why you're laughing. And it's like, even that realization, like, Oh my God, I have the same story as Rick and Keel. And he's saying he has the yips and it's anxiety. Like I freaking have anxiety. And still, even then it was like, still don't care. Like, <laughs> Anxiety is not like a really, it's not cancer. Like I'll be fine. So it's like, it just, it's, it was a very long, slow buildup from no, I don't have that to maybe I have this to, okay, I have this, but it's not nearly as important or scary as all these other things. So screw it to this monumental, massive event where it was like, I have nowhere left to turn. Like I'm literally looking at a balcony saying, I can see why people throw themselves over like that's bad like yeah. i need to do something about this asap yeah. otherwise my kids are going to be deathless so it's it's always tough like you you hear something for the first time you're like yeah okay whatever and then it takes like 30 40 50 60 70 times until you're like oh my god this finally makes sense like i've heard this for 5 years and now all of, why at this point why at this moment in my life does this finally make sense to me? And I've noticed that big on like the personal development journey of just mental mindset games and working out and all this stuff. You're like, I knew all this, but why didn't it click until just this moment? Like it, it makes you really, it makes you really question a lot about who you are, why you're doing what you're doing and why, why at this point does the sign matter when two years ago that sign didn't matter. And like you even said, like the the stigma, the the mindset. Oh, anxiety is not like cancer. I mean, you, you said it perfectly. Everybody brushes off mental health until that anxiety builds up to a point where you can honestly see why people want to jump. And I've been down that same road as well. And it's not a fun road to be down. And that's why, you know, dadding greatly is out there and why we're out there and doing all this for the dads that have those same thoughts that have those same fears. A professional baseball player had the same exact mm -hmm. situation you did. And it's like, okay, I could see it, but nah, I'm good. I'm good. I have this all figured out. 20 minutes of journaling, that's fine. Take a walk out in the backyard, I'm fine. Ready to rock and roll, no issues. Bring on the next bring on the next worst case scenario. But I mean, taking that moment and just being like, okay, this has popped up 10, 15, 20 times. Something, someone is trying to tell me something. So what is it that I need to do right now? That's a huge, huge key to recognizing anxiety, life, depression, whatever it is. And on top of that, with recognizing and understanding and building from that, what were like, what are some mantras or tools? Because I, I know what you practice yoga and stuff too, right? So uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. So like, what are some mantras, tools, things like that, that you're using today to help battle your anxiety and build that re better relationship with your wife and your kids? Yeah. So I, not to go back to the medicine well, but I am on meds, which has helped a ton. Um, I don't think I could be, well, I know for a fact, I could not be in the situation that I am now doing the things I do with my kids now and my family now without that. But 
it really only takes the edge off. So like we'll go to a place like Disneyland, like Hawaii. And I know there's going to be tons of crowds and I kind of go in now. So the first time I went back after having that big panic attack, my mindset was, what am I going to do? Like, what if that same feeling comes back? What if like the panicky, like dizzy, I'm going to pass out in this line feeling comes back. I hate that feeling. Um, What if it actually does make me pass out in front of all these people at Disneyland? How embarrassing. And it, it spirals from there. So now it's like just kind of a very small change in mindset where it's like, okay, when this happens, here's what I'm going to do. Um, so you almost have to just like accept it. So rather than, well, what if, what if, what if it's okay. When it happens, like, here's how I'm going to tackle this. Like, cause I know what's going to happen. Um, so you just like accept it. Um, and you have your, your strategies mapped out so that you're not kind of like caught off guard. Like, okay, I'm enjoying this trip and it's awesome. And now all of a sudden snap, like the anxiety comes on and you're like, oh crap, what are my strategies now? And it's like too late. Too, you're um, already, you're yeah. already behind. Ambush already um, one of the best strategies I've, I've had though, actually came from a family member, not even a, a counselor. Um, she said, she always says, I'm not there yet. So when I start to get the the panicky, um, I just have to tell myself, I'm not there yet. Like, I don't actually know what that's going to look like. So an example, I was driving on the freeway to a rec softball game, just beer league softball. And I start to get anxiety about it. And I start to like, my skin gets cold. And I'm like, man, I'm going to pass out on the freeway just thinking about softball. And, and I had to figure out like, why am I panicking? So my mind was, well, what if my team stinks and what if the other team is super good and I know somebody on that team and they smash us and they see Nick's on that team and they're like, oh, Nick, I always thought you were a better athlete than that. Like you're on this crappy team that we just smashed. Like how embarrassing for you. You suck. Take a breath. Like it's beer league. They don't care. And just like take a backseat and say, I'm not there yet. I'm not to the field yet. I don't know who's on that team. I don't know what that team looks like. I don't even know what my team looks like. We might have ringers. Like we might actually be good. The other team might have eight and we might smash them because they're down players. Like who knows right now I'm on the freeway. I'm driving. That's my one task right now. So that's helped a ton. Um, I I don't, I don't like needles. And so I always assume when I go to the doctor that they're going to make me do a blood sample. And so I get panicky driving to the doctor thinking like, Oh God, I'm going to have that needle and I'm going to pass out and want to barf. And then I have to do the same thing. Okay. I'm not there yet. Like I'm going for my knee, like old man knee. Like what's the chances that they're going to make me do a blood sample for a knee? Like I'm not there yet. Let's just see what happens. Like the task at hand is driving and finding a parking spot. And then the task after that is remembering which floor I have to go to. Cause I always forget. <laughs> Same. Same. Let's just, let's just do that first. So that's helped a lot. Um, another big strategy for me is I, my go-to is always like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm going to pass out. How embarrassing. And then it just spirals and gets worse from there. My wife was like, let's say you do pass out. Like this happened at little league. I was coaching my son's team. I was like, Oh my God, what if I pass out in front of all these other parents? How embarrassing. She's like, let's say you do what happens. I was like, Oh, I don't know. Everybody probably like rushes 
to the middle to like get me off the field and they call an ambulance. And she's like, okay, so they save your life. And I'm like, well, that's embarrassing. Like what, a, like she's like, well, what would you do if somebody passed out? And I'm like, rush to their aid to get them off the field and call an ambulance. And she's like, would you talk trash about them if they passed out? And I'm like, no, that'd be scary. And she's like, then who would talk trash about you? Like, how would that be embarrassing? So just like also that mindset, like, yeah, what if this happens? Like what, what would be the worst? Cause I think a lot of anxiety is like you spiral out of control, panicking about like these things that aren't actually going to happen. So just you taking on that. Mindset, like, yeah. What happens if I do pass out right now? Like, you predict a future that's not even happening at that at that point. That's something that I have carried with me when it came to the anxiety battles for the past man three years now since I've been doing since I've been working on myself. Mm-hmm. And you're right, I'm not even there yet. My task at hand is to make sure I get there safely. I do what I need to do. I find a parking spot because I know I'm going to yell at about a parking spot for the next twenty minutes, and then I'm going to forget where I need to go. So I got to make sure I do that. It's it's taking that step at a time, that incremental step at a time. Yeah. It's understanding, hey, it's okay. You're you're not going to be embarrassed. It's remembering putting yourself in that situation when you start to spiral and being like, well, if I pass out or if somebody else passes out, I'm going to try and save them or I'm going to try and call 911 because I might not be good at first aid. Or you're you're going to try and figure something out for another person. And by taking that understanding and by knowing like, hey, I'm okay. I'm going to do this. And you actually answered a question that I was going to ask you because I see a lot of dads, not not even just dads, but men, but it's like, oh, now I'm on this anxiety medication. So now I'm okay. And that's not always the case. It's understanding and working your mindset and knowing the strategies or knowing, hey, when this is going to happen, not if it happens or no, it's not going to happen. But when this happens, I can now have a plan of attack to at least have a baseline of where I need to go and what I need to do. So you've really answered like, Hey, the meds help take the edge off, but it's taking the small steps to ensure that the meds are going to continue doing what they need to do. But I'm ultimately responsible for my decisions going forward. Yeah, exactly. So I would say before, you know, before medicine, my anxiety on a, on a task that gives people on a scale one to 10, if this task gives somebody a five amount of anxiety before medicine, it would give me a 10. It did give me a 12. Mm. I would be like physically ill. Um, after medicine, it gives me more like a six or seven. So it still gives me a little more anxiety than the normal person. Right. Then you factor in those anxiety, those, those tips and tricks and strategies that you've learned from the counseling and from the handbooks they give you and talking to your doctor and other people you've talked to. And that kind of gets you back down to like a, maybe like a five and a half or five and a quarter. Like you're still going to be anxious about things and that's fine. That's actually good. Your body is supposed to have a little bit of that like fight or flight. You know, you shouldn't be at a safari park and a Jaguar's on the loose and you're like, oh, I'm on anxiety meds. I don't care. Like I'll just stand here while it attacks me. <laughs> like you <laughs> still have that like, oh crap, this is bad. I might die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it just, it kind of, all of the things combined gets me a little closer to to where I should be. I think if I just did the strategies and no meds, then yeah, I could probably still go into situations like a seven and a half. It's better than a 10. Um, if I just did the medicine and didn't do any strategies, I, I get to that seven 
seven and a half, but you combine them, you do both and it gets you a little closer. Yeah. The more tools that you have in your proverbial toolbox, the well-equipped you're going to be to handle whatever situation. You know, when my wife's yelling at me to hang up the new pictures that I haven't hung up yet and we've been here for a month and I'm still not doing them. Well, I don't have all the tools yet. So I got to make sure I have all the tools. I'm in the right mindset. Like it's going to take some time to get there. Exactly. It might take a year. It it might take six years. Who knows? (laughs) But still, it'll get done. But it's it's not knowing that, oh, just because I have this medication, my doctor swears by this or this person that I know is is crushing it right now and they're on they've been on this medication for four years. That doesn't mean that it's just going to be the only tool to work. That person that you know that's been crushing it with that medication, they might also be listening to motivational podcasts. Mm-hmm. They might be going out there and researching even more. They, they're putting in more proverbial mental reps than just using the one simple tool. I mean, they could be great, but let's be honest. We're human. We're men. Like Those are outliers. <laughs> I don't know many people that could just take a pill and be perfectly okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's possible to just like, like we said, just do the strategies and not mm-hmm. take medicine and you still are fine. Uh, I, I want to say my counselor gave me some stat and I feel like half of stats are made up, but it was like, if you only do the strategies and tips and the counseling, then you have like a 90% chance of um, not beating anxiety. They tell me that like, you don't ever really beat anxiety. You just mm-hmm. learn how to manage it. So you have like a 90% efficiency rate of of managing your anxiety with just like breathing techniques and yoga and spending time outdoors and, and all these strategies. You have like a 94% effective management rate on medicine. So you take them both together and you have like a 98.5%. Um, so it's just, it's, it's exactly like you said, why not tool up with as many as you can if they're there? If they're there, you can't have enough, you can't have more than enough tools. Right. And I kind of believe that statistic because back in basic training, we had a drill sergeant tell us basic training is 85% mental, 15% physical. So if you could get through the mental aspect, everything else is going to come. And I could fully believe that because I'm not on anxiety medication. I'm currently working that side of my, of my recovery, but it's like, I have a lot of the strategies and a lot of the tools that I can use that when I know my anxiety is kicking up or I'm starting to feel it, I could be like, okay, whoa. Take a step back. What have I learned? What am I able to do to overcome this obstacle I have now? Where it would have taken me six months to a year, I can now maybe beat it in two months to three weeks, whatever the case is. Obviously, that's extreme, but the more tools you have, the stronger you're going to be, the more well-equipped you are overall to help yourself, which is going to help more people in the long run. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just... Real fast disclaimer. I'm not saying like, go get on meds, everybody. Like, mm-hmm. obviously talk to your doctors. If it's right, it's right. If, right. if they don't feel like you need to be on it, then awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like tools can be things like knowing what affects you. Like, I know that coffee affects me, um, especially on an empty stomach and especially without any water. So if I get up in the morning and just crush a venti coffee, I'm going to start feeling anxious. Even if I took my medicine this morning or last night, like I'm still going to feel anxious. So whereas I drink like two, two iced coffees a day, if I'm going to Disneyland, I'm going to get a grande in the morning and that's it. Like I'm done because I know, I know better, like based on (laughs) trial and error and lots of experience with it, that coffee will directly affect my anxiety. 
and that that's a big key as well too right you brought it up in the beginning it's like your doctor and your and your therapist all said like yeah here's the recommendations but now it's up to you to make the choice so here's all your recommendations you know coffee's gonna jack you up i love coffee just like the next man i was just slamming an os here as we were talking today getting my energy up but it's like I know what my limits can take based upon what I'm doing. So it's like, okay, do I need to scale back a little bit? Yes. Can I scale back? Well, I have no choice or else this is going to, this, when it happens, this is not going to be good for anybody. So it's, here's my recommendations. Now it's up to you to make that decision. Nobody else is going to make the decision, but you, I, I, I love the way you brought that up. So awesome. Thank you. Nick, we've been crushing this conversation, man. I just have a couple more questions for you today before we wrap all this up. You have brought so much value. I mean, I have a full notebook. You've been watching me take notes all day. You, th- this has been a really great conversation. So, Thank you. We talked yeah. about dadding greatly in the beginning. I brought it up a little bit in the intro of this episode. Where is it that our listeners, if they want to learn more about you, find out more about you, where is it that they can find dadding greatly and all that other stuff? Right now, I'm solely on Instagram, so it's just Instagram.com slash greatly. It's all, there's no spaces or hyphens or anything. It's D-A-D-D-I-N-G and then greatly, G-R-E-A-T-L-Y. Um, I had a website. I couldn't really commit with two little ones to, to writing very often, so I kind of scrapped the website. And now I just kind of take on the Instagram account as like a, a visual journal. So everybody says Instagram fake and versus reality i try to keep it as real as possible like i'll tell you when my kid is being an a-hole and i'll I'll freely admit like the the craziness that like my my four-year-old is currently on like small child big feelings Mm. can't reason with her my three-year-old's the same boat right now i right here i have a lot of empathy for that and sympathy (laughs) i happily share it all and we'll have that link and i've seen those instagram man and i'm following it with our with ours and it's like you're about as real as it comes when it comes to a lot of that so keep up that work and the link for his instagram will be in the description of this episode so make sure you click it give him a follow give him a like follow that journey follow that story just go out there and continue to support the great dads that are out there crushing it to help other dads other men break what it is that we've been fighting for this is a new generation of dads so let's just go out there and become the best damn fearless dads that we know how to nick as we wrap this up, I took a lot of that without saying us without doing a single breath. So we are going to finish this up right fearless father style. In your own words, Nick, what does it mean for you to be a fearless father? To be a fearless father. So my entire dadding experience um, was built on fear. Um, in the deep dive with counseling, I basically under un, uncovered. Um, that all of my anxiety surround it is, let's see, I mean, this could be a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> I'll be fast. I have really bad memories of my dad. He was never really there. And when he was there, they were not great memories. Um, so now I just have this like deep, deep burning fear of not being that for my kids. Like I don't want to be a terrible dad for my kids. Well, then that sparks into well, the only thing that's going to stop me from being a good dad for my kids is dying. And boom, that's where the anxiety comes from. It's just this fear of everything. Like, I don't want to go swimming in Hawaii because what if the ocean current takes me out into the ocean and I die and I leave my kids behind? Then they're going to be fatherless just like I practically was. So fearless fatherhood for me is just, you know, doing everything I can to kind of front load 
um, whether that's the counseling, the medicine, the strategies, um, even beyond that, just being there for them and being vulnerable and showing them a side of me that our fathers never would have shown us. Um, and just, just being there, just really, truly being there, not, not just being like the breadwinner and, and showing up for dinner and like patting little Johnny on the head and saying, go get him tiger. Like not being embarrassed to like show up at baseball and root for them loudly and obnoxiously or jumping in and being the coach. Um, you know, I, I'm jumping in to the little cove and looking at sea turtles with my son. Cause he wants to do it. I'm scared and terrified that one's going to turn around and bite me, but I want to give him an experience. How many eight year olds have gone, you know, snorkeling with sne- sea turtles. So right. fearless fathering, man, it's just, you just got to really just be vulnerable and just jump in. Um, that was a very long winded way of kind of dancing around the, you are, I'm as long-winded as they come. So you and me, we're all right. We, we got yeah. this. So one one word, fearless father, just vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Show your kids that you're there for them, you know, and just prove it. Your strength and is vulnerability. Aspects, mentally, physically, emotionally. Love it. I absolutely love it. Nick, it was a pleasure. It was an honor to have you on the show, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you again from the bottom of our heart. I know we had a bit of a problem getting all this set up, and now everything dust settled. We had this great conversation. So seriously, honestly, thank you again, brother. It meant the world yeah, to no, us. Thank you. This is a good platform, and I, I really feel like, seriously, guys out there listening, like, don't hesitate. Take the steps. You're going to look back if you do go get help and say, man, I wish I would have done it sooner. If you want to DM me, like, I'm not a certified therapist. I cannot give you medical advice, disclaimer. <laughs> but seriously, if you need to just DM me and say, like, hey, man, I go through this. What do you think? Like, I, I already know what I'm going to tell you. Go email your doctor right now. There you go. But same. Happy there, to talk. No shame. No shame. Make sure you click that link. Click that link. Give him a follow. Great guy doing amazing things with his kids, with his family, and for other dads out there. It was a pleasure having you guys listening today. It was a pleasure having Nick on this podcast. Continue to go out there and support your kids and your family any which way. And until next time, guys, we'll embrace the fear. Bye.